Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to the Engadget Podcast. We're bringing you five episodes this September sponsored by Verizon Wireless, but... Full disclosure, while Verizon is our parent company, we've always enjoyed full editorial independence. They've never been able to tell us what we do in our podcast, in our stories, or literally anything we've ever done. So take that as you will. I think it's a good thing. And I, in fact, am Chris Velasco, senior editor at Engadget, joined this week by... Hey guys, I am Dana Wollman, executive editor. Happy to be here. We are back. Yeah. We are back in this tiny closet, speaking into our microphones, looking at each other awkwardly, and it is... The awkward gadget closet. Bring it. <laughs> God. That's, how did you know that's what I call my home? I mean, that makes sense. That's great. Thank you. Like, thank you for defending my honor in that I would moment. have called it gadget museum, but whatever. No, it's, it's, a, it's a hovel. It's a sty. It's a place where gadgets go to die, and I made a rhyme, but it's all perfectly accurate. We do actually... I should point out, have a new gadget we should talk about. It's the Galaxy Note 8. We're just diving right in. The Galaxy Note 8 uh, released to reviewers last week. We had a little bit of time to play with it, about a week, which is pretty average for this sort of thing. And I think in general, we kind of like it. Yeah, it's funny. It's just that you weren't able to review it in a vacuum, right? Um, I think if there were no other phones at that price or at a slightly lower price, you would have loved this thing and recommended it probably even more highly. The problem is, right? So not only do we have some new phones coming this fall, but um, the Galaxy S8 Plus is still around, which you spend a lot of time comparing the Note 8 to. They are, for all intents and purposes, very similar phones, except that the Note 8 maybe feels a little more unwieldy in the hands, and it has the whole pen thing going for it. But it's a similar phone, right? And it's more expensive than the S8 Plus, which is still around. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about this whole review scenario is that there are two general schools of thought between or when you look at what I've written versus what other people have written, and it's that the Galaxy Note 8 is either an S8 Plus with a couple extra things or much, much more than that. Like, it's actually a standalone sort of really kind of brilliant device in its own right, which I guess... I see the logic behind that, but pragmatically speaking, like, no, it's not. It's an S8 Plus with a pen and a better camera, although not always, and that's it. Like, the differences there are valuable to some people, but it's always been a niche device, and if you don't like the idea of sitting on a subway writing a young adult novel on your phone with a pen, then who, what was what the actual value here? I don't know. To Samsung's credit, just to let them know that they're not crazy here, there are actual Note fans out there. There are people who have been waiting for the new Note to come out. I've been on dates with them, and they've been like, hey, what do you know about the new Note? And I'm like, hey, I'm on a date, and I don't want to talk about this. Wait, 
just sidebar for a second. This this happens to you? Like, this is a thing that's happened at least once. Oh, yeah. Get my ear, then the, the next thing I know, they want gadget advice and tech God. advice. That's pretty messed up. That, yeah. that speaks to the pretty lousy state of modern dating. <sighs> Would you... Mm, okay. Well, that's a whole another subject we could probably <laughs> get into, but we should should not for the sake of everybody involved. Um, yeah, I, I personally, I really do like the Note 8. I do think you're right, though, that you can't look at something like this in a vacuum. And I think what really kind of sealed the deal for me was, yes, it exploded. Yes, it caught fire. But when it was launched and when everything seemed to be going well, the Galaxy Note 7 was such a step ahead from the Galaxy S7 and the S7 Edge that it felt really special. And I don't think I'm the only person that felt that way. We gave it a 92 when we reviewed it, which is, to date, still one of the highest scores we've ever given a product. Obviously, we rescinded that when everything nasty went down, but it speaks, I think, really well to the fact that the Note 7 was a very special phone. I felt a lot of affection towards it in a way that I don't often do with some devices. And I know a lot of people felt the same way. The Note 8, as nice as it is, because Samsung, to their credit, absolutely knows how to build a good phone, just doesn't feel as much of an improvement as the Note 7 was over the devices that came before it. And now that we've got two devices that basically have the same screen size, basically have the same chipset and RAM, although the two gigabytes of RAM extra that the Note 8 has does sound like a, a little feather in its cap, there's, there's just not much there to really kind of drive the difference home. Yeah, if you're a pen person, great. You'll have, you're going to have a great time. If you like the idea of a flexible dual camera, you'll also like what the Note has to offer. But is it worth... All that extra money? For so many people, the answer is no. And I think you'd be silly to make any phone purchase right now, right? Um, the iPhone 8 or X or 8S Plus, whatever you want to call it, is being announced next week. Yeah. So, And then the Pixels probably a few weeks after Very that. shortly afterwards. So if you take any piece of advice from this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, don't, don't buy anything right now. Just put your credit card back in your wallet and just sit on it for the next couple of weeks because your patience will be rewarded. The Note 8, obviously a great phone, but you're right. The iPhone, uh, which honestly sounds a lot like we're looking at three of them. So a couple of sort of 7Ss, mild improvements over what we already have. And then one 8 or X or anniversary edition or iPhone edition, whatever you want to call it, with a dramatically different set of features. Although, to be fair, a number of features that do kind of feel vaguely Samsung-y, right? So we have an edge-to-edge display. We have uh, a virtual home button because that's just where we're going now. Uh, Things that we've seen before finally being implemented in an Apple device. What do you think? Do you think that this is Apple being innovative or does it feel like catch-up to you? So whatever Apple comes out with next week, it's not going to feel purely original. There will some be some ideas that have appeared on other phones, um, you know, maybe less successfully, maybe actually successfully already. Um, but either way, this should be a big, big leap forward for Apple because um, Apple's taken a lot of heat, right? Um, the last few generations of phones have all felt a little iterative, a little samey. Uh, the rumor is, and we could be disappointed, right? But the rumor is that these phones will be a big departure design and feature-wise from what we've seen. I mean, we're obviously overdue for it. So Apple has long stuck to that sort of TikTok sort of design and performance refresh. So you have the regular model and then the S that follows after that. And with the 7, we were, according to sort of popular thinking, 
we were sort of meant to get that big dramatic design uh, change, and we just didn't. We have basically the 6S S, uh, which is fine, and they're perfectly fine devices. I use one, and so do you, and they're very, very solid. Were they exciting in the way that people tend to expect from Apple devices? No, not really. The dual camera on the 7 Plus was nice, but does it really speak to the level of innovation that we kind of expect from the world's most valuable company? I don't think so, personally. This is Apple's chance to kind of take a step back, figure out what it is people really want, figure out what it is people will want in the future, and try and get ahead of that. I do feel that the sort of sameness that we're kind of getting, the same vibe, the similarities between whatever new premium iPhone they're working on and existing devices is going to be sort of an abstraction. Like it's, they'll always be a little behind the curve in that way. But also that's always been Apple's sort of MO, right? Like here's the thing that exists. We're just going to do it better. And it's been working well so far. I just, I don't know. I hope this thing works out well. I hope if I haven't been really excited by an iPhone in a while, I don't know if that's necessarily the same for you. I am more curious than I am excited. Um, And mind you, I'm the sort of person, I don't even know if I consider myself an early adopter. I actually tend to mourn the loss of older standards, um, probably more than most people. Although in this case, I think that if Apple does indeed, as rumored, get rid of the home button, I think a lot of people are going to miss the home button. A lot of people are going to miss Touch ID, which isn't even that new or that old of a technology. And... um, yeah, I think um, I won't be alone in missing all those things. The Touch ID thing in particular seems like a strange move, right? So if you haven't been keeping track of the iPhone Odyssey unfolding in front of us, uh, the prevailing wisdom indicates that the one of the new iPhones will have a virtual home button, so you don't have a Touch ID sensor built into the screen. Instead, you would be using something like facial recognition to unlock your phone, authorize purchases, things like that. That seems... Very, very potentially fraught with issues. Uh, There's been some additional attention to the fact that the Note 8, for example, has facial recognition that is relatively easily thwarted. I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily trust my phone to, to just unlock itself with my face if that's the only manner of unlocking. I'm sure we'll have pin codes again, but... Would you necessarily trust something that could be fooled or, or something that seems as easily hacked as something like that? I mean, there's got to be something else going on here. Without knowing more, I trust it less than Touch ID, which relies relies on my fingerprints. But also there's just the, I'm a creature of habit. So um, I'm so used to the reflex of, of putting my finger on the Touch ID sensor and many times a day entering and re-entering my phone that way. Um, so I wonder how my habits will change without that home button there. Well, so I wonder if, if you by saying that, have sort of locked yourself into being the kind of person who would get the 7S or the 8 or whatever whatever the non-revamped iPhone is, the sort of traditional model with the traditional upgrades, not the one that's going to break the bank or really kind of push the limits, but the logical upgrades from the devices that we've had before. Do you, what's, what's... Wouldn't be the first time. I mean, it, it, I'm feeling a little bit of deja vu. Um, it, it feels a little repetitive in a way of discussions we've already had about Apple's other product lines, including its laptops. It's Buying an Apple laptop for many people is now a compromise decision, whichever you buy. Um, God, amen. You know, am I also the type of person who would buy an older MacBook Air to get a full USB port? 
maybe I, I wouldn't be happy with that decision, which is why I haven't taken any any plunge. But um, I do wonder if similarly with phones, we're setting people up to make a decision where um, they're making a compromise either way. That definitely feels like the case. And I have to I can't help but look at this entire situation as Apple just sort of. I don't know, testing the idea. So you've got the more traditional two iPhones. Let's call them the 7S and the 7S Plus for the sake of argument. Just for people who have sat on their 6s for a while and kind of need something new and want the the new sort of capabilities of iOS running at its full potential. And then the 8 or the Edition or whatever sort of meant to be the early adopter device. If you were going to get this thing anyway, like you've probably already made up your mind. If you're an iPhone person out there looking for the latest and greatest, you're probably not going to switch to an Android phone and get a similar set of features. You want to see Apple spin on it. So you would get something like the iPhone 8 or Edition. And you've got, in that case, I think you're basically asking to be a guinea pig, right? Like, none of these things are particular. Let me backtrack. I've had such a bad track record with being a buyer of first-generation Apple products that you kind of have to be okay with the fact that things aren't going to work perfectly all of the time. You therefore become like this test bed where Apple gets to say, okay, well, here's what we've done. How does it work for you? What do you think of it? Uh, Are things working well? Great. Are they not? Uh, Let's go back to the drawing board. Take that process and sort of expand that out to the point where whatever they learn about iPhone 8 users eventually gets trickled down to the follow-up devices, which will completely replace the ones that we are used to today with the home buttons and the touch ID sensors. Like it just seems to me that they're building a process for transition that we'll probably see come into fruition next year or maybe the year after that. Right. Um, Depending on how we purchase our phones, some of us might no longer be in the market next year, but we can always look on and, Continue waiting for the next big thing. So this event isn't just going to be about iPhones, is it? So there's word that we're going to see a new version of the Apple Watch, which you have played with pretty extensively in the past. Right. So this one, if the rumors are true, would have built-in LTE connectivity so that you can do all sorts of things with it um, without the use of a phone that where previously you would have needed a phone nearby. Is that something you yourself have wanted? Because I, I never really feel like I'm missing out by having my watch with me when I'm away from my phone. Realistically, to be fair, I'm the kind of guy who just kind of looks at a watch to see what time it is. Right. Um, now everyone uses it differently. In the times that I've worn an Apple Watch, it's hasn't really been a phone replacement at all. It's been a tool that I think makes me a little less distracted by my phone and makes me a little less rude using my phone. So I don't think the whole point <laughs> is to not have my phone nearby per se the whole point is to be able to glance at my watch quickly and say oh that email that came in is from groupon i don't need to open my phone right now this is something i've always wondered and something i've struggled with personally but i don't know like if you're on a hypothetical date or just out with someone like i I feel like the action of like i don't know maybe hiking up your sleeve and looking at your watch is equally as rude as pulling out your phone if any if, if not more so like it seems culturally loaded in a way that makes it look like you're wondering how much time I have left with this person. Like it, (laughs) I've never gotten over Um, that. Maybe we all think we're more subtle than we are. I like to think that I've, um, I've perfected the, the oopsie move where I accidentally quote, accidentally activate the raise sensor. (laughs) Um, now maybe I'm not as subtle as I think, and maybe you're not as as subtle as you think. I'm definitely not. Subtlety is not my thing. Yeah, I, I like to think I've perfected the um, the watch oopsie move, 
but maybe I haven't. On that note, let's take a quick break. We're going to be back with more talk about the upcoming Apple event, maybe what Google has coming up down the road as well. So stay tuned. It's that time of year again. The iPhone you've really, really been waiting for is now available on the nation's largest, most reliable 4G LTE network. Head over to your nearest Verizon wireless store or order online today. Okay, and we're back. I am Chris Velasco, Senior Editor at Engadget. I am Dana Wallman, Executive Editor. And to pick up where we left off, we were <laughs> we were sort of exploring the role of the Apple Watch sort of in culture and whether or not it is sort of more rude to glance at your Apple Watch than it is to glance at your phone. I don't think there's a definitive answer to this. And I'm trying to make the phrase oopsie move happen. God, what? So, so like, give me an example in which you would, like, deliver an oopsie move. I'm having a hard time kind of seeing this in well, my mind. Let's go back to the bad date scenario. Okay. Um, if, if I move and um, my peripheral vision is good and sharp, um, I can make my movements look fluid and then the screen lights up and I see what's on there. And even if it's just the time and I know how much time has elapsed on this date, you are giving me the most pitying look. I can't stand it. <laughs> it's not that. I'm trying so hard not to laugh. <laughs> and so... Um, then I've pulled off the oopsie move, and if the conversation is going badly, I've just um, reignited the conversation because that's another thing about the Apple Watch. It's like, um, it's a conversation starter. I want to say the way cigarettes fit into a social routine. Mm -hmm. I feel like the Apple Watch, part of its purpose is to be a conversation starter, although um, that might be a controversial point. A lot of people... Um, might disagree with me on that, but I think it is one um, byproduct of owning that device or a device like it. People are curious about it, and you will get questions and comments. So basically, you're saying Apple Watches are cigarettes? Um, I think all technology are cigarettes. God. This took a really dark turn. Yeah, no, we're driving some real truths here. And yeah. as, as a former smoker, like, yeah, you're kind of right. Like, that is, like, the relationship I did have with cigarettes does kind of speak very strongly to the relationship I have with technology. Like, it's there for me when I need it, when I'm stressed out, and I need to just like de or like disconnect from whatever it is that's driving the stress. I'll look at my phone in the same way that I would like sneak outside and have a cigarette. Yeah, and this is totally off topic, but I have lately been toying with the idea of uninstalling certain distracting apps from my phone. I've done that too, actually. I've I've completely like I've removed Facebook and Instagram from my phone, which Facebook is... feels like low hanging fruit since I don't use Facebook as much anymore. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know why I can't take the plunge yet, but um, it's like I'm not ready to uninstall these apps, even though I know I can reinstall them a day later if I want to. But anyway, I'm working up the nerve to just take that experiment, do it, and see how it goes. So what's at we are we are delving completely off topic, but I, I feel like this is kind of important to discuss. What are what are the apps on your phone that you feel like you would be better off not having? Um, I get as a reflex, I open Twitter a lot. And refresh it a lot. I open Instagram a lot. Mm -hmm. And I open Gmail a lot, although really I need to still have that on my phone. And, I mean, arguably, as a journalist, you also do need to keep Twitter around. Um, and I use my podcast app a lot, but I kind of also need that around. But sometimes I think about... Um, I do a lot of fiddling on my phone in public, often in view of other people. And I think if they were to look over, not that I want them to see anything interesting on my phone, but what they would look over and see and that I feel a little embarrassed about are some really repetitive 
behaviors on my phone that don't feel totally in my control. And that's kind of why I want to experiment with getting rid of those apps on my phone altogether. I mean, I, I, I certainly take your point. Like, so much of what we do on our phones, I think we're, we're generally very similar, is that, I don't know, like, it, it, it's like a neurosis. It, I just, I can't help but do this, and I feel like I'm actively missing out or like not being part of a conversation if I'm not furiously like refreshing Twitter yeah. or or just being on Instagram and seeing what people are doing like it it's strange to me how strongly that has come to feel like a social activity even though you're just like watching people talk about stuff on the internet opening Twitter is now a nervous habit and I wonder what my brain would be like if I didn't have those distractions random podcast idea Dana let's do tech therapy like, can we get a psychiatrist on the show to just, like, talk about the role of technology and, and more specifically kind of figure out what the hell is wrong with us? And why do you feel the need in every phone review to tell readers that you are playing games on the toilet? I just... I would like to hear a psychiatrist um, delve into that. Well, I think if we're going by, like, the classic Freudian interpretation, I have an anal fixation. I don't know that, that <laughs> I don't know that that's actually true. I kind of frankly doubt it. I, I really just think I'm being funny. Because I have this like really deep seated desire to be perceived as like humorous and fun, uh, which is probably a little too in depth for the scope of this podcast. But there you go. I like I like being liked. I think that's uh, an issue that a lot of people have. Tech therapy, guys, send us your ideas. God, this could be good. Like this could actually be good, actually good and helpful. Because God knows I have a lot of things that need to be unpacked, just like Apple has a lot of things also left to unpack at nice its Apple segue. event. Yes, at its uh, Apple Park event in Cupertino. So obviously we've talked about the iPhones in depth. We've talked about the Apple Watch and all of like the weird cultural stuff attached to it. Now let's talk about the spaceship. We are going to the spaceship for the first time. Yeah. So if you're not aware, Apple basically built a brand new headquarters that looks like a UFO crash landed in Cupertino, California. Uh, and there is, I believe, the Steve Jobs Auditorium, Steve Jobs Theater, is kind of smack in the middle. Like, there's a hill kind of in the middle of the campus, and sort of at the top of the hill or near it is the auditorium. So it should be a pretty fun little thing. Definitely different from what we're used to. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, most of the events have been at popular conference centers and concert venues, and they've been on public streets, so you roll right up and you're you're there. Um, it's relatively rare that we set foot on... Apple's campus. We have in the past in Cupertino. This will be our first outing in its new futuristic campus and in this theater, which um, we're going to have to see it to really understand it. But um, I read one report that indicated the seats were worth $14,000 each. What? Wait, what? Yeah. That, that the actual seats that you plant your ass in. Yes. Yeah, you will, you will be putting your butt in a $14,000 vessel receptacle. Great. Well, that's basically what my first car cost. So thanks, Apple, for treating my ass as as thoughtfully as one might treat my brain. Yeah. So um, after we're done getting our hands all over the new products, uh, we will report back on just um, what it is like to put your ass in a $14,000 movie theater seat. <laughs> That's not the only thing. That's not the only sort of miscellaneous thing I'm looking forward to seeing. I, I kind of want to know more about the HomePod, which we got to see very briefly at WWDC. It's a big speaker with Siri in, in it. In a very controlled setting, we saw it. The, de the demo was so controlled that day at WWDC that um, they were talking about the audio technology, but also using the auditorium's own speakers as part of the demonstration. And it was like, guys, you can't do that. 
Like if you're going to demo the HomePod, don't use auditorium speakers to augment your demonstration. That's not fair. So, I mean, in private, you and I got to experience the music capabilities. We didn't hear much about, um, we didn't really see Siri in action, just taking voice commands. Right. Um, so there's a lot that we ourselves haven't seen and that certainly the public has not seen yet. Right. The one thing we can vouch for at this point is the fact that the HomePod does sound very good. If you're looking for a sort of smart speaker that excels at audio, that's probably the way to go for now. Yeah, my one sentence recap of our listening session from June was that it was worlds better than music-wise. It was worlds better than the Amazon Echo, and it was also better than the comparable Sonos device they pitted against, but not the difference wasn't as dramatic with the Sonos. Right. And to be fair, stacking up any actual speaker against an Amazon Echo really isn't fair because the Echo sounds like you're kind of listening to an AM radio. Like like in this weirdo analogy, if listening to music on a HomePod is like listening to a CD, then I think the Amazon Echo is like listening to AM radio. But we have heard uh, from some sources indicating that the new version of the Echo that Amazon is working on does kind of focus more on this audio quality, which is something we've not really seen so far and something I'm personally looking a lot something I'm personally looking very forward to. That's another thing. The original Echo is kind of long in the tooth and due for an update and reportedly getting one soon. God, I wonder how that'll work for my... Since, we're, since we've delved into the depths of our psyches earlier, I wonder if that'll change my like weirdo paternalist relationship with Alexa. Um, so much remains to be seen. And, uh, you know, we'll see how much smarter Siri gets. Um, there's you. We, we talked about this briefly last week, but you don't seem particularly impressed with the Siri we have now. Um, I don't think Siri is necessarily that far behind some of the other assistants. Um, I think Alexa is interesting because I think Alexa was always built for devices where voice was the only input. So Alexa kind of always had to be good, right? Um, Siri's not bad. Siri at least has a personality, which is... No small thing. But Siri has needed to be smarter. And there is, as you said previously, some indication that Siri will be getting smarter. Just we haven't seen it in action yet. If nothing else, she sounds better, right? So if you've played with the iOS 11 beta, you'll know that if nothing else, Siri doesn't sound like a stilted robot anymore. She sounds a bit more fluid. Uh, The male voice is much improved as well, if that's more your thing. Uh, Although it is very nice to just have the option to switch between the genders, I think. I think so. So we've talked a lot about Apple, maybe a little bit more than we intended to, but I do have to ask, is there anything on the horizon that you're kind of looking forward to spending some time with? Oh, gosh, me? Yeah. Um, For me, it's the Pixels. Like, I hands down. We've gotten basically every we... major Android's flagship out there. I mean, yeah, I want Google that. to show us what it's got, but have has much even really been leaked? Or are those fairly closely held secrets still? So it kind of depends on how you... It depends on the level of trust you have in these leaks. The Samsung Note 8 leaks, which have persisted for months prior to the device's sort of unveiling and eventual launch, which is going to be in just actually like a week now. Um, those were kind of credible throughout, and they were consistent enough that you could kind of trace the progress and kind of see which ones didn't really fit and know which ones to discard. We haven't seen as many for the Pixels, which is weird because these are devices that really kind of act as the standard bearer for Android or what Google thinks Android should be able to do. Uh, They don't 
technically run stock Android. It's like Android plus a couple sweet, frankly, Google editions. Uh, but we do believe we're going to be seeing two, one made by LG and I think one made by HTC, which should be interesting. LG hasn't made a, they haven't worked with Google in that capacity since the Nexus 5X, I believe, which did not work out super well for them. It was a great little phone, but LG sort of went through its, I don't know if growing pains are the right word, but that was about the time when we got the G4 and those issues and the V10 was kind of flaky as well. There are still class action lawsuits in progress, I believe, related to the G4. So I don't it's not a surprise that it's taken them a little while to kind of get back in anyone's good graces. Uh, On the other hand, LG seems to have had some momentum lately. It recently announced the V30, which we haven't gotten in for a full review, but you got hands on and our colleague uh, Sherlyn Lowe, reviews editor, also got hands-on, and you both um, had pretty promising things to say about it. Yeah, can we just talk about this for a second? Like, LG, what's up? You did it. You you made the phone that you should have made, like, two years ago. I, I said kind of offhandedly in my uh, V30 hands-on that this is the phone that the G6 should have been, and it absolutely should. That That's so true. Like, this is a device that speaks to how well LG can build something and how fluid its software can feel. It's definitely not going to be for stock Android purists, but it is one of the closest I've seen to pure Android. And that combined with the frankly very impressive hardware makes me think I might switch to LG full time. Like that's not what, like what? Well, and to the extent that I like rooting for an underdog when the underdog is good, um, I don't know how many people are going to buy the V30 over, say, the new Note 8 or whatever the new iPhones are or um, the new, well, the new, I think that's the whole point is that they might not buy the V30 over those phones, but it would be interesting to see what happens if LG is making a phone that Google is branding and selling. Yeah. That could be a, a game changer for them. I think that very well may be the case. And I think to your point, you're absolutely right. Like, very few people would go out and buy a V30 over a Note 8 or an S8 Plus or an iPhone or maybe even a Pixel. I I have a lot of... Uh, I have some complex feelings about this, as I, I think you can tell. But really what it boils down to is that I'm very proud of them in a way that I haven't really felt about a company in a while. Like It's, it's just very reassuring to see a company that, frankly, a lot of people have written off and with pretty good reason kind of kind of come out and prove that it still has it. It's funny uh, that you say it hasn't it's been a little while. I feel like the narrative has been similar for HTC. It's a company that people I think tech reviewers privately root for um that sometimes has duds, sometimes has really good phones, but like LG is squaring de- is facing down the reality that marketing matters and marketing dollars matter in the smartphone world. So um I think HTC has found that that you can have a great phone but you still have to get it in front of people's faces and get them to want it. Yeah, HTC is kind of a case study in that, right? Yeah. Because the ones, I mean, I preferred the M7 over the M8 and the M9, but like, sure, they were objectively very good phones that kind of didn't really go anywhere. And even now, with the new HTC U11, a phone which, despite everything that this company has been through and despite all of the reasons I have to sort of not trust it anymore, like, okay, yeah good job like you did a thing this is a very good device now what are you going to do with it and that's the answer that they haven't been able to provide yet like they're out there people are presumably buying them they're able to at least but i don't really 
the the excitement isn't there and it hasn't been there for a while so you do have to wonder yes companies like HTC companies like LG are still capable of doing very good things they can build really impeccably nice devices and that's fine but like does it matter anymore is it is it fair to say that they really have a shot at relevance anymore like or has that ship already sailed I believe they do um I guess I'm cynical enough to just feel that good reviews don't equal success for them. But it's definitely, if they've put out duds in the past, a good next step, a good start. Hopefully that turns out to be the case. I I think we're the same. We both kind of love underdog stories, right? So when a company does do well again. And I think it's better for consumers if there are big players in this space that aren't just Apple or Samsung. You know, it's really funny you mentioned that. That's exactly sort of what Andy Rubin's deal was when he started Essential. He's mm-hmm. like, hey, the mobile industry has centered itself around two major companies, but the Apple business model works for a startup. Why not me? Why can't I be that guy? And he's, frankly, he's doing an all right job at it. I think this, did you see this like crazy email situation that they went through not too long ago? No. So basically what happened was for uh, Essential customers, there was a minor leak in which personal information about people who had bought the phones had wound up, I believe, in a mailing list that other people could view. So it's a very bad look for a guy who built Android, saw a possibility, a way forward to do something better, and just sort of not get the basics right. Like he's done ostensibly the hard part of crafting a phone that is, if not perfect, just a beautiful piece of machinery that people really do seem to enjoy. But like, like the lower level functions of a company that has to deal with customers, like wasn't exactly there. It's frustrating because I think we agree with the premise and he certainly got the attention he needed because he's Andy Rubin. Um, but in your review, you didn't seem to feel like he fully brought it in terms of the goods, the phone. Well, it's, it's funny because the phone itself, the hardware, the components, everything on that sort of physical layer, I think is absolutely impeccable with the exception of the camera. The camera was terrible when we got it, and it got to be more or less not crap after all the updates we received were installed. Software-wise, yeah, I gotta admit, I was a little disappointed. Like, I I appreciate the fact that Andy Rubin can say, I've been working on Android for a decent chunk of my adult life. I am now proud to be a customer of my own product. But, like, what do you do with that? Like, I understand people want choice. I want... They want the ability to kind of make their devices their own. But you're also the guy who kind of is responsible for all of this. So shouldn't you take some responsibility and kind of figure out what it is we need before the rest of us do? I don't know. It's it's I have very complex feelings about Andy Rubin as well. And everything in the phone space. God, just I'm so full of feelings, guys. What do I do about this? Well, we'll be back next week also talking about phones. You and I will be podcasting from the West Coast the beautiful, beautiful Bay Area. Bay Area. Where hopefully it will not be 100 degrees. Or like really foggy. Like if, if San Francisco could just like find the way to to split those two. Like, you could just arrange great weather for us. That'd be great. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, the ghost of Steve Jobs, if you could activate your weather machine up in heaven and kind of make sure that we're not left wanting, that would be phenomenal. I'd really appreciate that. Was that really weird? Was that like a really bad goof? Anyway. I made a face that I realized wasn't going to broadcast. 
Well, anyway, this has been the Engadget Podcast. I'm Chris Velasco. And I'm Dana Wallman. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, you could find me on Twitter at Dana Wallman, just my full name. And Chris, you are at Chris Velasco. That is correct. And our regular host, Terrence O'Brien, is returning in a few weeks. He is Terrence O'Brien. All E's, no A's. I really just wanted to say that. And um, yeah, you could find us next week. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Bye, guys.